Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Children are dismissed for Children's Church. Hope you have a great time, kids. And Seth and Miss Kathy will pray for you. This week we start a new series called Why Christmas? next four weeks and just kind of look at some different aspects of Christmas and and any of you who have had children or maybe you were this child um, that uh, at the very early age of of adolescence or elementary um, maybe you had uh, a child that would ask you why right Um, I can't remember which one of my three children um, did this but um, there's a cow out there. Well, why? Well, the cow, God put the cow out there. Well, what's the cow doing? The cow's eating grass. Why? The questions go on and on, right? It's kind of like that. those questions of, are we there yet? But it's on the other end, like, why? Why is it that way? Why are we doing that? That question still resonates in my house sometimes when we, they, my children are asked to do something. Well, why? Because I said so. And if you want to eat tonight, you will do that. No, I'm just teasing. Uh, we, we often, and, and it's, it's children who are looking and, and, and seeking to understand, right? Sometimes they're just looking to be um, hard and difficult. I'm choosing my words carefully here. But uh, most of the time, it's them trying to gain an understanding, I think sometimes we look at Christmas, and and those of us who have been around a long time, and I won't mention any names, but as I look out, some of you are more seasoned than some others. Uh, Have you ever stopped to think about why Christmas? Why did God do it this way? Now, it just so happens where we live in the time that we live, we celebrate Christmas in December. All right. And it doesn't matter if we celebrate in December or if we celebrate it somewhere else or sometime else. That's not the significance of what Christmas is all about. So don't get hung up on some of those other questions where you keep going and asking, well, why is it December? And there's some answers to that. And why is it December 25th? Again, you can look and research those answers to those questions. But when we think about Christmas, I want to go a little bit deeper with you. And as we explore it, to really try to understand and say, okay, why why did Christmas have to happen? And imagine our lives, imagine your life without Christmas. What would it look like? It would be very different, wouldn't it? And so as we start um, this exploration um, these four weeks... I want us to look at why Christmas. And so um, this week we're going to look at uh, because God keeps his word. And, and, and that's going to be the, the theme of today. And, and why, why do we have Christmas? Because God is a God of his word. And it had to happen because God said it was going to happen. And without it, then God is not trustworthy and, and we can't trust what he says. And so uh, next week we're gonna we're gonna look why Christmas, and, and it's because uh, because God came to us. He's actually with us. Emmanuel, we sing it. 
the third week, we're going to look at God. Uh, why Christmas? Because God demonstrated his love. He wanted to show us his love. And then the last week, we're going to look at that God offers to be everything we ever needed. That Christmas satisfies everything that we need is offered then. So this morning, we're going to jump in here. Um, but I said that we were going to pray for Kathy and Seth with our children's church. So let's pray for them and let's pray that God will work in our hearts too. Lord, thank you again for this opportunity to open up your word. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to understand better, uh, Lord, that you are a God who keeps his word. And Lord, the significance of that as we live each day and how, how important that is that we are reminded and that we keep that uh, ever before us as we walk through each day. Lord, I do pray for Ms. Kathy and Seth as they teach our children. Thank you for them. Thank you for our nursery workers. Just thank you, Lord, for the, the wonderful opportunities, um, Lord, that you've given us and you've given our families that we can learn more about you. And may you be honored today and may you do a great work in each one that's here that's live streaming and that will watch this sermon and Lord and for also for our children as they learn more about you as well. And we pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. So why Christmas? Well, God keeps his word. God keeps his word and we want to look through that and there's no better place to begin than at creation. But before we do that, I want to show you a few passages um, and I want you just to, to think for a minute and go back to the very beginning. And as we think from the bottom up and we build uh, from the bottom up today, um, who is the creator? Are you the creator? Have you created yourself? Some would argue and say, well, my mom and dad created me. Well, yes, in some ways they did, but they didn't create you. They your mother just happened to bear you and, uh, and bore you and you came out. Um, there is one creator, right? And so when we think about this, who is the creator and who is the creation? We are the creation. And that's in critical and important as we walk through this um, aspect of God keeping his word. Because God is supreme. Him being the creator and us being the creation. The creation doesn't tell the creator what to do. The creation isn't going to set the rules for how it's going to live. The creator does. And so uh, we need to think of that and keep that in our mind as we walk through today. Uh, a couple verses I want to show you. We're going to start in the Old Testament, and I'll just kind of fly through these as we go through. Um, but I just want to show you some verses that help us to, to realize that God has said that he's going to keep his word and it shows us in the Bible, uh, all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, that God keeps his word. The first is found in Isaiah 55, 11. It says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. God's word, it will not go back empty. Um, numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? 
1 Kings 8.56, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by Moses, his servant. Numbers 11.23, And the Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true to you or not. And so here's God talking to Moses and saying, hey, um, I'm going to fulfill what I've told you. And it kind of reminds me of uh, the, the one commercial and, uh, where they're paying for the bill and the one person has alligator arms and he can't reach for the bill because this verse says, you know, is the Lord's hand shortened? Maybe you didn't see that, but you're going to reach for it and your arms aren't qual like long enough to get it. And it's like the Lord is saying, hey, Moses, am I, do I not have the capacity to keep my word? What's cool is what we're going to see next in the verses in, in Joshua, Joshua 21, verse 45, where there, it's on the other side. So here the Lord is talking to Moses about the promises and how he, his word will come true. Now Joshua has recorded here for us in Joshua 21, verse 5, not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. So now we see on the other side that what God had promised to Moses, his arms weren't too shortened. He fulfilled it. He did it. And Joshua was writing about it on the other side of it, that God had kept his word. Let's jump to the New Testament. A couple of verses here. First Thessalonians 5, verse 24, where Paul writes, He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. That when God does something and when he calls you or, uh, or says, This is what I want, he is going to fulfill that. Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. So we just quickly looked at and glanced at a few uh, of the verses. There are many, many more about God keeping his word. That's just the tip of the iceberg. But as I said, let's build from the ground up, okay? So let's look at creation. Let's go back to Genesis. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Genesis, if you would. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to skip chapter 1 because uh, hopefully you have an understanding. And if you don't, you can go back and read it later. But where God spoke into existence all of creation. So once again, God using his word and speaking into the power to be able to speak into existence all of creation. Now, I can do a lot of speaking and not a whole lot is created, all right? I, I have to do things, right? I'm, I, when I went up to put my Christmas lights up yesterday, uh, I didn't say, hey, Christmas lights, can you please put yourselves up? I said to my children, hey, you're going to help me put these Christmas lights up, but we still had to do something. Right? God, and we, we see in Genesis 1, God spoke into existence all of creation. It shows us his magnificence and his power and who he truly is. That he is that grand and that great. And that we are his creation. And so we come underneath that. And so as God placed Adam and Eve into the garden, he gave them his word. And what he told them, we see here in Genesis 2 verse 7, 
He said, of all these trees you can eat of, as they saw the beauty and the splendor of the garden, he said in verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely, what? Die. So is God going to be true to his word? Well, we see that in Genesis 3, verse 1, we see the serpent. So look there with me, if you would. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? See, this is what Satan does. And he's done it from the very beginning. We see it there. And it carries on not only through the Old Testament, but through the New Testament. And Satan will attack God's word. Satan will attack God's character. Satan will cause us to doubt that God is not faithful to keep his word. You think about it in your life. It makes a lot of sense with the things that we struggle with. See, Satan is a deceiver. He is a liar. He actually seeks to destroy us. God gave Adam his word. He gave him instruction. And he also laid out, if you eat, what the consequences would be. Well, look at verse 5, chapter 3, Genesis 3, 5. It says, for God knows, again, Satan enticing Eve. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. How often are we deceived, taking God's word and it's twisted or it's, it's, it's presented differently so that it may, you know, appetize us. What it does is it causes doubt and it moves us from his course that he desires for us. Again, going back to. Is that what God said? Well, Genesis 2.17 says, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Well, we know Adam and Eve both ate of it. And uh, as God met with them in the garden, their, uh, their guilt resonated within them because they didn't trust that God was faithful to his word. And so God lays out this, another promise. As he's talking to the serpent, he says this in verse 19, chapter 3, verse 19. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. Um, actually, this is to Adam. You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so what is God saying to Adam here? Again, you were taken out of dust and you are going to return as dust, meaning you are going to die. And what do we see in Genesis 5, 5? It says, thus all the days of Adam lived were 930 years and he died. So is God faithful to his word? He most definitely is. He most definitely is. What we also see too is a promise uh, that is here in Genesis chapter 3 in verse 15. 
And it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his head. It's a foretelling of what is to come and ultimately the Messiah that was going to come. And we're going to see that in a little bit. But, but here from the very beginning, what we see is God is faithful to his word. And when Adam sinned, the consequences came true. And when God is talking to the serpent, he is saying, hey, there is going to be a man who is going to bruise your head. And you will bruise his heel. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. So what has now entered? Well, we see when Adam made those choices, Adam and Eve, that sin entered into the world. And so sin came in Romans 5 verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who was that man? Adam. Sin came through one man and death through sin. We just looked at that. What, what was the consequence of Adam eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? He died. God said that from the very beginning. That was the promise that he said, if you eat this, you are going to die. And so Paul is writing uh, thousands of years later, and he's recorded for us what took place back in Genesis. He is helping us to understand and to come to grips that, that this sin that came into the world, that sin came through one man, and thus death through sin. And so death spread to all men because why? Because all have sinned. All of us. Romans 5, 14 says this, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgressions of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. What Paul is writing about is the law and, and, and the significance of the law, but the law helps us to see that we're sinners and that we fall short of perfection. And so there was an argument about, well, what about before the law? What about before Moses? And Paul is writing here, listen, death reigned from Adam to Moses. And so when we look at our lives, while that sin that we, the people committed through those lives, it may have looked different. The evidence of sin being real in every person's heart was still the same. Why? Because every person... From Adam to Moses, what happened? They died. Except for two, which that's a whole nother sermon series, okay? When Enoch and, and Elijah were caught up into heaven. Really cool. If you, listen, if you read the Bible, it is amazing what you see. It's, a, it's awesome. So we see that now we have, all of us have this sin condition that started with Adam and has been passed down to all of us. And we say, wow, that's great. I was born with this condition. Yes, you were. And you had no control over it. You say, well, that's not fair. Well, listen, let me remind you. Who are you? You are the creation. You are not the creator. We don't get to, we don't get to lay out the plans. We don't get to call the shots. The creator calls the shots. And he said, if you eat of this tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you're going to surely die. And that sin has been passed on and passed on and passed on. The great part about the word of God is it gives us hope. 
when God says something, he is faithful to fulfill that. And part of what we see here is the promise that there is going to be one to come, that there is going to be a Messiah. And so while we just saw the promise in, in Genesis 3 uh, with, with Satan, the serpent, and with the Christ that was going to come, uh, we also see it in several other places of the Old Testament. As God set his nation, Israel, aside, the promises that he made to them uh, was that there was going to be one day someone who was going to be their leader. As the Messiah, as the king, the one who would save them from their sin. Again, the sin has been a problem ever since from Adam till now. And so as Isaiah is writing, during a time where Israel had turned their backs upon God, Isaiah is writing in Isaiah 7, 14, and he says, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Will give you a sign about who? Well, the promise that's made in Genesis 3 and the other promises that had been made up until Isaiah was writing this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Thousands of years before it's going to take place, Isaiah is writing about the Messiah that's going to come. That God is giving his word and saying, okay, not only is there a king, the Messiah, who is going to lead the people, but let me give you some insight. A virgin is going to conceive. We sang about it. Our first song talked about the Virgin Mary and how this promise that God gave to his people Israel was a sign for them to see. When you see this, be ready because he's there. Isaiah 9 verse 6 for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That this Messiah was going to be born a child. Isaiah 11, verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This is such a significant verse. When you look at Jesse, who is Jesse? When you look at Jesse, Jesse is the father of David. Who is David? David is the greatest king in the history of Israel. David is the one that God promises to that through his line, the Messiah was going to come. We don't have time to look at all of that, but, but through Jesse, as the father of David, and then David, and through David, David here being the branch, that through David was going to come the Messiah. That's significant because we're going to look at the last book of the Bible in a little bit, and it's going to talk about this stump of Jesse. It's pretty cool how the Bible works together, isn't it? It's almost like the creator put it together. Micah 5.2 gives us insight where God says, Hey, I'm not even going to tell you that it's going to be that a child is coming, that that the that all of the government and everything is going to be upon his shoulders, but I'm going to tell you where he's going to be born. Look, Micah 5 2. But you, oh Bethlehem, Euphrathia, who are too small to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler of Israel, whose coming day, coming forth is from of old and from ancient days. 
So the one who has been around from all of eternity, when creation existed, which we read about in the New Testament, Micah is saying, hey, the one who's going to be ruler of Israel, the one who's coming forth because he is old and from ancient of days, meaning he has been in existence from the beginning of time, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be born where? Bethlehem. You know who else was born in Bethlehem? David. King David, through his line. The promises continue to be shown over and over and over again. Well, what happens? The Messiah is born, and that's why we celebrate Christmas. The Messiah is born, but we're also told and we're promised of what's going to come. We also read in Isaiah 53, verses 8 and 9, what's going to happen to the Messiah. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away, and as for his generation... Who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. The Messiah was perfect and holy. He had done nothing wrong. And yet he was cut off from the land of the living. The Messiah was promised that he was going to die. Why? Isaiah 53 verse 8 tells us why the Messiah had to die, stricken for the transgressions of the people. Why? Because they had a sin problem. The Messiah was promised that he was going to be cut off. Daniel chapter 9 verse 26, Daniel records the exact time of when the Messiah was going to die. When he says, and after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be what? There's that word again, cut off and shall have nothing. He was going to die. The promise of God. See, he wasn't just going to be cut off, though. There's a great promise of being raised, raised from the dead. I love this psalm, Psalm 16, verse 10. And maybe you remember this psalm. If I gave you a quiz about our study through the book of Acts, I hope that you would pass this quiz. Maybe you wouldn't. But maybe you would. Where Psalm 16 verse 10 says this, For you will not abandon my soul in shoal, or let your Holy One see corruption. So this is David writing this. He's recorded this. And so when you look at this and you say, okay, well, this is what David is, is, is seeing God and has written this promise from God about himself, right? No, actually, this is a prophecy. Well, how do we know that? Because of what we're going to read in the book of Acts. But let's read it again real quick so that you can see. For you will not abandon my soul and shoal or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, if we flip over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 22, I want to read to you what Peter presents. Peter's going to present the whole gospel message as, as Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's going to share with, with his audience who this Jesus was. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. And as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Stop, pause for a second. Isn't it awesome that our creator God has a plan? He has had a plan from the very beginning. Do you question his plan? I do sometimes. Should I? No. 
If God took care of my greatest need, which we're going to see here, which is salvation, which is living in eternity in heaven, then why should I be concerned and worried that he has a plan about my life today? He's awesome. But this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and you killed by the hand of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced and my flesh also will dwell in hope. A prophecy of David sharing about the Messiah, the risen. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Didn't we just read that in the book of Psalms? Now Peter's quoting it. And saying, look, this is the Messiah. He not only died, but he raised from the dead. Verse 28, you have made known to me the paths of life, and you make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with him an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne... He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, meaning Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. And he didn't go down to Hades. He didn't stay dead. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your Holy One see corruption. Oh, how awesome is that? See, Peter says it in the beginning. And then we see Paul, that last verse, and Paul says it in Acts 13, 30, 35. He uses the same text in Psalms to prove to his audience and say, listen, see what David wrote? This is the Messiah. And he was promised that he wasn't just going to die, but that he was going to raise again. So that leads us to eternity. Forgiveness and eternity. Paul writes in Romans 5, verse 21, so that as sin reigned in death, we talked about the evidence of that, of Adam and Eve and their decision and how death and sin was passed from one person and one generation to another. Paul writes here, just so as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through who? Through doing good works, right? If you just do your best, be the best self that you can be. Go to the army then. They used to have a slogan, be all that you can be in the army. Any of you remember that? I'm showing my age now, I know. That's not what the verse says. Look at what the verse says. Leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus Christ offers us eternal life. And a lot of you have accepted that gift. You've seen that God is faithful to his word and you've accepted that, that forgiveness that he offers because of the sacrifice of Jesus, the, the sacrifice that we remembered as we partook with the bread and through the cup. What a blessing. 
that we have been given. That God has shown us the grace and the mercy that we could understand and comprehend the plan that God had from the beginning of time that, that he would send his son Jesus and that we could see at Christmas that God keeps his word. I talked about earlier the, the, what we saw in Isaiah and I want to share with you at the end of this book that we have, it's called the Bible, Revelation 22 verse 7. Where John records, and if you're looking in your text, it's, it's not up here, but in your text, it may be red-lettered. Meaning it's the words of Jesus, it's the words of the, the crucified and risen Christ. As John is there looking at this miraculous and glorious view of a new heaven and a new earth, John has glimpse of this. And Jesus says to him, behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Just as God was faithful to keep his word through all the thousands of years that have gone on from, from the beginning of creation until now, God is faithful to say, hey, listen, I am going to come back soon. Now, how we define soon is not up to the creation to define soon. It's up to the creator to define soon. And considering that the creator exists before all time and is not, not bound by time, soon means soon. I don't know what that means because I'm bound by time. I'm not eternal just yet. John continues to write, and he says in verse 12, again, recording Jesus' words, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those whose robes, who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and that they may enter the city by the gates. Verse 16, I, Jesus, I, Jesus, have sent my angels to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. So the promise that we read about the root of Jesse, the son of David has been fulfilled. Our Messiah has come, proving that God is faithful to his word. So as you go throughout these next few weeks, I would encourage you to know and be reminded again that, that Christmas shows us that God is faithful in keeping his word. He always has and he forever will keep his word. Put yourself just in a moment here. Put yourself in those 400 years of silence. What we call the years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. 400 years of quietness. 
Yes, God had made these promises, but when was the Messiah coming? When was God going to deliver the nation of Israel and be there? How excited. The great joy as those, when God uncovered and unmasked the eyes of those who saw Jesus as who he really was, that the Messiah had come. That the shepherds, as they left their sheep and went to see this baby born in a manger, lying in strips of cloth. What does that tell us? That God is faithful to his word. His promises always come true. Grab a hold of that. Treasure that. And take that with you. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you are in charge and we are not. Thank you that we have the wonderful privilege of being called your children and that we get to follow you. Thank you that the reminder of Christmas shows us that you are faithful in keeping your word. And we know we can trust you moving forward too. You've promised us you will never leave us nor forsake us. You've promised that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. You've promised that you are going to come again soon. Lord, may we grasp hold of your promises. And as we view Christmas and see it again this year, we would see you are a God who keeps his word. We thank you for that. And we thank you that we can come to you because of the blood of Jesus, it's his name, in his name we come. Amen.